Alrighty. Well, today we're in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Again, every time I say Galatians, I have to stop myself. Does it have an S on the end because of Revelation? All right? It's a hard thing to break, but it's the truth. Galatians chapter 5, been following along. I hope you enjoyed last week's sermon. I had a blast geeking out and talking about Batman, okay? Thank you for allowing me <laughs> to come back and not uh, calling a district superintendent saying I'm, I'm a geek and you want me out of here. But uh, uh, this week we're, we're, going, we're going the opposite way. We're going super uncomfortable here. Like, like my comfort zone is talking uh, movies and nerdy stuff and how they relate to the Bible and it's fun to see that. And this is like, we're, we won't get into some of the nitty gritty, but we'll almost get there. In chapter five, because there's some uncomfortable things that are talked about in this entire book, but let alone it kind of zeroes in on chapter five. And uh, today's sermon is entitled Cut Off. Cut Off. And uh, through this series, though, though this series is actually split up by chapters, each chapter I'm taking a new sermon, different focus each time. Um, Paul didn't have that same hindrance that we do with chapter markers because they didn't exist back then. He was writing a big old long letter to the Galatians. And he needed this letter from start to finish. He wrote it and sent it off ASAP. And it was important to him that the Galatians not do something that they would regret later on. Do you personally have any regrets in your life? Think about it for just a moment. Is there anything, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think about it. Is there anything that you know that you've done and you're like, that was a really bad choice. That was a really big mistake. Maybe it's like a tattoo of a person that you're no longer in a relationship with. I, I did some research uh, this week and uh, the one location that guys get their tattoos on their bicep, they regret that big time because it's so exposed and or what it is. But a picture of somebody that you're no longer with. Uh, maybe a widening of a piercing such as a spacer in your ear and then you regret it later in your earlobe. Or even something temporary like a really bad haircut or a dye job. Now, trust me, some people say hair grows. Not everybody's hair grows. Mine doesn't very much anyway. But those are some choices that you could regret later on. And I, I mentioned these regrettable things because specifically they are physical in nature. Okay, a tattoo, a piercing, uh, even a bad hair dye job. Physical in nature. And the cost to repair uh, or, uh, and undo what was done can be very expensive. And in some cases, there is no going back. You will, you will physically never be as whole as you were before making that regrettable decision. Though the topic of this, po this sermon is heavy, it's not without hope. The reason the letter that Paul wrote here was to be sent as soon as possible is that as of Paul's writing it, the Galatians had not been circumcised. You see, we get that hint in verse two when he says, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Uh, so it is with that in mind that we discuss this sensitive topic and it all centers around the concept of being cut off. Now let's look at 
the first six verses of this chapter together. Verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by, the law, by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. All right, so in Galatians 5.4, Paul says, you're, being, you're, you're trying to be justified by the law. Those of you who've done that, you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So it seems like this is not like a future tense. You're trying to be justified. You're alienating yourself from grace you're, or from Christ. You're alienated. Paul hasn't changed his story throughout this entire letter. People are trying to mess with his message. And that message that he brought to the Galatians was very important not to be messed with. At the core of what they were doing here is that they were, they were trying to change justification from coming through a whom, H or W-H-O-M, whom, into obtaining it through a what or by a what, okay? From Jesus to following the law to the letter, just uh, including circumcision. That's the what. The whom is Jesus. And they're trying to change it back to the what. Paul preached and so clearly illustrated in the apostles' support uh, back in Galatians 2, if you look there, it was that justification does not and never did come by the law, never by acts of the flesh, but rather through faith. And he gives this example for, uh, of Abraham was justified by God by faith. And so in verse four, he talks about being alienated from Christ. So what's that all about? Alienated. I don't know if you stop and think about the meaning of words. Sometimes I do this too much when I'm researching and, and writing sermons, but I, I want to understand what these words mean, uh, not just what I assume they mean. So, and of course, good source of understanding of what a word means is a dictionary, but not all dictionaries are as trustworthy as they once were. But alienated has a definition uh, that is to cause to be estranged, to make unfriendly, to make unfriendly, hostile, or indifferent, especially where attachment formerly exists, existed. This seems to jive with another translation that I was reading this week, where instead of saying alienated, they said cut off. It was translated as cut off. If you are cut off from someone's will, guess what? You're not getting anything, and you are certainly alienated from them. You're not getting any inheritance. Sometimes when a couple breaks up, they cut off communications. Maybe they tear up pictures, burn them in a burn barrel. Or in this day and age, they probably delete all their photos and old text messages. 
They'll say, I don't want to think about that person. It hurts too much. They're, they're out of my life completely. In that sense, they're alienated from that person. In this battle for souls of the Galatians, the false brothers have been trying to influence the Galatians towards legalism and away from the truth. Uh, one source I was reading this week was that it's like incremental. They're building up to this crescendo of circumcision, this, this final physical thing that has to take place for them. Maybe there's other practices that they're interweaving, but this is the big one. And the truth of this matter is found in verse 6, where Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul draws this line in the sand, faith expressing itself through love. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. Well, let's read on. Verses 7 through 12. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept, from, kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So back up in verse 7, Paul continues to wonder about what caused the Galatians to be led astray. You were running a good race. It was looking pretty good. So who cut in on you? to stop you from obeying. We have this expression to cut in on you. It's another cut. Paul paints this picture, people running a race, right? And you got this person coming along you, alongside you who is faster on the different lane, and then they zip right in front of you, and they're, they're running, and you, you can keep up, and then they slow down and try to block you. They're cutting in on you and stopping you from doing what is right and keep going on your run. How rude is that? We know who it was who was cutting in on them. It was these false brothers. But the Galatians are not helpless sheep. They can make the right choice. But yet it seems like some are set to fall away from grace. And these troublemakers, these false brothers, are also throwing the Galatians into confusion. As we see in verse 10, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they may be, that may be, will have to pay the penalty. It reminds me of when Jesus talks about anybody who leads a young, a little one astray. It's better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and he thrown into the water. I see Paul saying something very similar here. He's going to have a penalty for leading people astray. That's why it's important for us to actually teach what the Bible teaches and not what we think the Bible teaches. Because uh, we could be leading people astray. But that's another aside. That part's so important because of what Paul says right after that part. It feels like he's getting really upset with this person, whoever it is, because it gives us a hint at what else these false brothers are saying about Paul. He says, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. That's verse 11. Paul's saying, if I'm still doing what I did then, supporting circumcision, 
then why the persecution, huh? The evidence is not convincing. I'm being persecuted. Therefore, I'm doing the things that they don't want me to do and preaching the things I don't want to do. And so, but really, the false brothers are saying Paul supports them. Oh, Paul, yeah, he endorses this. No, I don't. And here's his big old letter to prove it. Paul, then in verse 12, kind of glossed over it, but we're going to hang here for a little bit. He kind of loses it a little bit. I, I really picture Paul getting this big crescendo of, of forceful voice, if you will. Some may call it shouting. Some may call it hollering. I don't know. If they had all caps in Greek writing, he was probably writing in all caps in verse 12, or at least the last couple words. He said, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Whoa, slow down there, Paul. You what now? You want them to do what? He is essentially wished the agitators would go and become eunuchs. They would have part of them, uh, they would have the part of them that allows procreation to be removed. Though these guys would still be men, they would no longer have the hormones that give masculine features and characteristics. They couldn't father children. Paul must have been very mad with these guys and their shenanigans. Well, since the false brothers are focusing on this act of flesh, circumcision, to justify them and all who'd follow their example, Paul decides to pit the fleshly and the spiritual against one another in the following verses, verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are at conflict with each other so, you, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or NIV right now says forbearance. My, my NIV is a little old, sorry. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And that's the end of chapter 5. But let's look at these first verses here, 19 through 21. You see, Paul spells out the acts of the flesh. Again, he's pitting these two. He's like, you really want to talk about the flesh? Let's talk about the flesh. He's pitting these two against each other. The flesh 
It's not just, the word is not just because these are physical acts, but the flesh, Greek, uh, the word is sarx, uh, refers to the sinful state of a person, the sinful state of a person. It is in conflict with the spirit. Uh, early Greek philosophers would, would they, I want to say they blur the lines, but they really just overlap this. It's, it's the state in which a person is. But they would say, no, the whole of humanity is just sinful. And, and, uh, and the only way that you can, uh, that there's no spirit, spirit, physical evil, spirit good. Um, but here's the difference here is that it refers to the sinful state of a person. It's different than actually what the physical person is. Minutia, perhaps, and we can get into that on a different thing. I just want to clarify that, that there is a difference between what those early Greek, philo- Greek and uh, Latin philosophers would think than what we're re- looking at right here. But it is in conflict with the spirit. There is a bit of a fight. Paul writes that these acts are obvious. Maybe they were obvious back then, but if you read through some of this, you're going to be like, People are really confused if this is right or wrong anymore. People are like, I don't think that's really all that bad. At least I don't do, at least I didn't murder anybody. All right, so let's look at these words just real quick. I don't have the list there because who wants to have a piece of paper with all these words on them? But uh, you can read it in your Bible. But I just want to identify the definitions of the Greek Greek words that are associated with these English words. So sexual immorality uh, the, and this is important. The Greek word for this is porneia. Okay. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. It's because it's where we get the word porn from or pornography. Uh, the definitions that are used throughout the New Testament for this word, fornication, whoredom, concubinage, interestingly enough, adultery, incest, and then the last little grouping, lewdness, uncleanness, in general, okay? Impurity and debauchery means uncleanness, lewdness, and lustfulness. You're gonna see this over and over again. There's a lot of overlapping. Idolatry and witchcraft. Oh, this went through me when I looked at the Greek word for this and understood what it meant. Uh, idolatry, of course, worship of idols, that doesn't change, but witchcraft. The Greek word, strangely enough, pharmakeia. Does that word sound familiar to you? Pharma as in P-H. Yeah, it actually is described as employment of drugs for any purpose. And then also in a couple other words, it says sorcery, magic, enchantments. So, so uh, that's, a very, that's how it was used in the New Testament. Uh, and that word described all of those activities. Hatred and discord uh, means enmity and contentious disposition. You see somebody, you're contentious with them all the time. It doesn't matter if they say nice things to you. Well, they probably hate me or they're talking about me behind me. But I, that's how I picture contentious disposition. I'm always going to not like that person. My mind is set. Jealousy. They blur the line with these definitions. Envy and malice are similar words to jealousy. Fits of rage. I don't know what that means, but I guess for those, it's not obvious. You're losing your cool. Lose your temper. Having angry thoughts. Uh, selfish ambition. You got a, a, a feud or a factious faction, and then there's more contentious disposition. disposition. Uh, dissensions, factions, and envy. Some more of the same 
just said differently. Drunkenness literally means indulging in drink. And this last one, I, all these words that I thought I knew what the definition meant, I thought I knew the context, orgies. And I'm like, okay, Paul, what are we talking about here? And you look at the Greek translation of this word, and it says a revel, lewd, immoral feasting. I'm like, what annual activity seems to, <laughs> what annual activity seems to describe this? Oh, Mardi Gras. Oh, these things that seem to be religious in nature, but are all about getting all the sin you can before you say, I'm sorry. Okay. I'd say I'm on my soapbox, but I'm actually on the floor here. Um, but anyway, that's what they're talking about. It's not what I thought the word meant, but that's, what they're, uh, that's how it translates in the New Testament language. Those are definitions from the Greek words that are used in Scripture. And as you can see, there's lots of them that overlap. What these acts of the flesh are all have in common is that they are me-focused. They're all about me. They're all about self. Get what you want, when you want it, in the way you want it. It's all about me. And when you can't have it, guess what? You cause strife between you and somebody else. That would sum up pretty much this entire list. The acts of the flesh are selfish. And when I can't have my way, you're going to know it. And it'll make your life miserable. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a nice person to be around. So let's shift over to something a little bit more pleasant. But again, he's pitting these two against him. You want to go on the, on the, the acts of the flesh, guys. Here's what the acts of the flesh really look like. Let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the good stuff. The catch of these is that the fruit is produced in us, but not made by us. Fruit is produced in us, but not made by us. Love... The word love here could have multiple different translations, but the word here is agape. Uh, joy, gladness, and rejoicing. Peace. Peace. I didn't, you know, we just think of peace. I think of peace of like, oh, I'm going to, I just want everybody to get along. That's not necessarily what peace is, but uh, unity. But this word concord, and I'm like, well, that's a, that's a kind of grape. I didn't know it had a different meaning. But look at a different word from the other list. Discord. They sound a little bit of opposite. I'll have to look that one up a little bit more, but it's probably going to tell me peace and unity is what concord means. Forbearance, which current NIV translations uh, uh, use instead of patience, but it means patience. But Interestingly enough, forbearance actually probably paints a better picture of what they're talking about when they say patience. It's usually like, well, I'm just going to have to wait here until I can get in uh, to my appointment. I'm having patience. Look at me. Really, that is a slowness of avenging injuries is a better understanding of what's happening here in forbearance. So somebody, uh, you know, I don't have a really good example, but you're, you're, you're slow to avenge those injuries. Somebody hurts you, you're not like striking them right back. You're thinking, you're thinking it through, you probably stop and think about it some more. And hopefully use one of these other fruit of the spirit to not strike back. 
But that's also a better understanding of why they say long-suffering. Uh, now we move on to kindness. Again, we, we jump back and forth. Kindness means goodness, but then goodness means generosity in this sense. Uh, so the goodness is a, a goodness of being generous. Faithfulness, of course, the integrity comes to mind when I see the word faithfulness. Gentleness also means kindness. There's a, a, a loop of, of fruit of the Spirit, apparently. And uh, self-control means you fly off the handle at every little thing, right? No. Uh, the word they use is temperance, uh, even keel, self-control. You don't go up, you don't go down too high. You're just like, you know what? I'm just going to ride this out. It's good. These are others or God-focused things. Instead of being all about me, what I want right now, and you're going to pay for it if you don't give it to me, these words are all about others and about God. Especially, you look at the generosity piece of it. Look at how you interact with other people, having unity, having love, sacrificial love. Many of these words overlap, but remember, we can't do anything to make any of these grow in us. It is something that the Spirit does. We make ourselves available and willing to do His work. As we wrap up today, when we put our faith in anything other than Jesus Christ, what do we do? We are cutting ourselves off from Jesus Christ. We are cut off from the salvation that he provided for the whole world. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Galatians are to crucify the flesh or those sinful nature which the acts of which are really acts of me centered worship. Get rid of them, crucify them. And they are to cut themselves off from those things, but not from Christ. But rather than something they do or even strive for, the spirit, fruit of the Spirit is what is produced in us. It is the evidence of the kind of plant that we are. And if we're a healthy plant, the Spirit is producing fruit. Is he producing fruit in you or me? We'd have to look at that list. And usually, and I've, I've said this before when looking at the fruit of the Spirit, some of the best mirrors that get held up to us to show us that the fruit of the Spirit is, is alive in us is other people. It's the people closest to us. If you see that reflected in somebody, would you please share that with them? Because they probably think they're doing a terrible job at living in step with the Spirit. Encourage them, please. Help them out. One of the greatest expressions of God's grace in the world is observing the Lord's Supper. Uh, there is nothing that you or I could do to deserve his sacrifice. And he gives it anyway. The Lord himself ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to take part of it. The emblems of his broken body and shed blood the feast is for his disciples. And let all who 
have with true repentance forsaken their sins and have believed in Christ unto salvation, draw near and take these emblems and by faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. And let us remember that it is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord and also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are the are one at one table with the Lord. I'm going to pass out the elements. I'm going to lead us uh, through receiving them and we will receive them together. Believers from all around the world celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, I know sometimes I do this off the cuff. Sometimes I read it out of the manual. And I used to think the manual was a bunch of hooey book, you know, a uh, bunch of legal whateverness. What I've come to understand and appreciate the fact that we have this guidebook is that Nazarenes all over the world and other languages can use this for guidance, for celebrating this particular sacrament that we're gonna participate today. In that sense, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we have unity with them in this. We have unity with Christ in this. We know what we are celebrating today. We know that we come with a thankful and repentant heart today as we take the elements together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and thankful for your sacrifice. We pray that our hearts would be right with you right now. Help us as we remember what you did for us and be grateful. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting around having a meal with his best friends. And... Uh, he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and then he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, afterwards, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is the cup of my new covenant, my blood which is poured out for you, do this in rem and whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me.
May we come before you, Jesus, in true humility and faith as we partake in this holy sacrament. The body and the blood, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you, preserve you blameless into everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The juice is a reminder of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you and for me. And may it preserve you blameless into everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Heavenly Father, we know that only your spirit can produce good things out of us. We're only human. And we tend to lean towards the things of the flesh. But you have called us to crucify that sinful nature. Do that work in us. Help us each and every day to turn from sin, repent, and turn toward you being ever grateful for your very physical and very spiritual sacrifice that you did for us once upon a time, once on a tree, for all of mankind. It is with that we say, thank you, Jesus, and amen.